There's no spiritual life. Why? Well, it's the fruit of Adam's sin. Death spread to all men so that all men are born spiritually dead. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hello again, I'm Bill Wright. Today, Tom has part three of his eight-part series titled The True and Better Adam. We're looking at what many consider to be the most difficult paragraph in the entire book of Romans. Indeed, perhaps in many ways, in the whole New Testament, Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. Today, you'll be reminded that this passage reveals that Christ Jesus and Him alone secures your justification. That is, He makes it possible for you to be declared right with God through His work because God appointed Him as your representative. But how does that work? And why do you need someone to represent you before God? Keep that in mind as we join Tom now on The Word Unleashed. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5. We are in the second major section of Paul's letter to the Romans. Chapters 5 through 8 detail for us the gospel experienced. Paul explains to us the security of our justification. Having explained what justification is, to be declared right before God on the basis of faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, and not by our own works, not by our own efforts, having explained that, Paul now wants us to understand that we are secure in that justification if we have truly repented and believed, that nothing can shake us from that. We've already seen in the first 11 verses of chapter 5 the immediate benefits that come to us as a result of justification. But now we find ourselves in the second paragraph of this new section, chapter 5, verses 12 to 21, and this section provides us with the legal basis for justification. The legal basis. How can God credit to us the work of someone else? That's really what's being explained in this text. Essentially, Paul's point in this paragraph we just read together is that Jesus Christ can secure our justification because God appointed him as our representative just as God appointed Adam, our representative in the garden. This is the way, and this is the only legal basis on which God can accept the work of Christ in our place without violating his justice. You see, in his wisdom, God chose to appoint both Adam and Christ as our official legal representatives, the legal representatives of those connected to them. In the case of Adam in the garden, God appointed him to represent all of his descendants. And who's that? All of humanity, every one of us. Adam was our representative in the garden, and God credited to all of Adam's descendants the consequences of his choice. In his earthly ministry, God appointed Jesus Christ as the representative of all of his descendants, that is, of all of those who would ever believe in him. And God then credits to his seed, to those who will believe, all the benefits of Christ's actions on behalf of those he represents. Theologians call this truth that we're studying together, that's found here in this paragraph, 
federal headship or representative headship. Don't be scared by those terms. They simply mean this. God legally appointed someone else to serve as our representative. And we receive either the guilt or the consequences, I'm sorry, the guilt and the consequences, or the blessings and the benefits of our representative's actions. But here's the key. This has to happen this way because it is the only legal basis on which God can credit guilt or righteousness. It's when He has appointed someone as the official representative of those whom He represents. Now, this is not my outline, but let me just remind you of what we discovered last time of the basic flow of Paul's argument here. It's a hard argument to follow. This is the most difficult passage in the book of Romans. So put your thinking caps on, stay with me. There's a lot of deep theology here, but if you'll stay with me, it's worth the effort, okay? So here's the flow of Paul's argument. In verse 12, he starts his main argument, but he interrupts himself. You'll see in many of our translations, at the end of verse 12, there's a dash indicating that he breaks off his thought. And then you have in verses 13 to 17, two parenthetical issues addressed. And both of them are addressed because Paul says something that he feels he needs to explain. At the end of verse 12, he says, all sinned. And so the first parenthetical issue he addresses in verses 13 and 14 is what does all sin mean? But at the end of that explanation, at the end of verse 14, he says, Adam is a type of Christ. And so he interrupts himself again with another parenthesis. And in verses 15 to 17, he deals with the issue of how is Christ different from Adam the type? In other words, how is Christ superior to Adam? He wants us to know much more has Christ done than Adam did. So two parenthetical issues in verses 13 to 17. It's only when you get to verses 18 and 19 that Paul comes back to the main argument that he started in verse 12. And then verses 20 and 21 are kind of an aside as he realizes that the Jews, hearing him talk about Adam and Christ, are going, time out, Paul. There's a whole lot between Adam and Christ. What about the law? And so he talks about the purpose that the law served in this grand scheme of redemption. So the heart of this paragraph then is that God appointed Christ as the representative of all who would believe in him. But to understand how Christ can represent us, you first have to understand how Adam did. And so Paul begins then with Adam, our representative. Adam, our representative, how sin, condemnation, and death came to all men. Adam, our representative, how sin, condemnation, and death came to all men. We see this in verses 12 to 14. Now remember the flow of Paul's thought. In the first 11 verses of this chapter, he has talked about all of those blessings that flow to us through Christ and because of our justification. And again and again, Paul says, through his blood, in Christ, through his death, in Christ Jesus. Again and again, he makes the connection of us with Christ. That immediately raises the question of how can God do this? How can God legally, justly credit to us what really and only belongs to Jesus Christ? 
I mean, after all, if you've read the Bible at all and you're a thinking person, you should be saying, wait a minute, isn't that a violation of one of the most basic principles of God's justice? God says, Ezekiel 18, the soul that sins shall die. And he says, the one who lives in righteousness will receive the reward. That's a basic principle of God's justice. So what in the world is going on here, Paul? Is this some kind of legal fiction, as sometimes its enemies indicate that it is? Paul says, absolutely not. Because God has made Christ your representative in exactly the same way that he made Adam your representative in the garden. And so in verse 12, we have Adam's representation explained. Verse 12, therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Now, as we discovered last time in that one verse, Paul lays down four basic propositions about original sin. Original sin is simply the the sinful state or condition in which all of us are born. He explains here how that happened. Four propositions. Number one, sin entered the world through Adam. We looked at this last time. Notice verse 12. Just as through one man, sin entered the world. Now, we discovered that doesn't mean just that people started sinning, although that's certainly true. It means more than that. When he says sin entered the world, he means that all men universally became morally guilty, morally corrupt, and tainted by acts of individual sins. Sin entered the world in its complete idea, its complete thought uh, package. All of those things, moral guilt, moral corruption, and individual sins. Sin entered the world through Adam. Secondly, we learned last time that death entered the world through Adam's sin. Verse 12 goes on to say, as through one man sin entered the world, and death entered the world through Adam's sin. God decreed the sentence of death on Adam because of Adam's sin. In what way did he decree death on him? Well, we, we looked at it. He, he decreed death in all three of its biblical manifestations. He said he would die physically. You remember in in Genesis chapter 3, the very day that Adam sinned, God said, from dust you were made and to dust you shall return. You are going to die physically. But also spiritual death. And this happened immediately. What happened to Adam, who had enjoyed communion with God? The very moment he sinned, instead of looking and searching for God, He runs from God. He hides from God. That communion is severed. The spiritual life that he had enjoyed, the relationship with God is done. Spiritual death. And then the second death. That is eternal death. Eternal separation from God. Eternal judgment. Now, Adam deserved this at the very moment that he sinned and brought this reality into the world, but Adam is not enduring that today. Why? Because we're told in Genesis 3 that on the very day Adam sinned, God redeemed him. But during that period of time, from the moment he sinned until his redemption, 
He ushered into the world eternal death, the reality of the second death, because all who sin like he sinned will endure the second death unless they are redeemed. So, death entered the world through Adam's sin. Now, that brings us to where we left off last time and to a new point that Paul makes here, Paul's third proposition about original sin. Death spread to all men because of Adam's sin. Death spread to all men, not just to Adam, but to all men because of Adam's sin. Look at verse 12. Just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men. And so is literally in the original language in this way. Death came into the world through Adam's sin, and in the very same way through Adam's sin, death spread to everyone. Again, in the original language, sometimes the the expressions are very picturesque. Here's how the original reads in this passage. It says literally, death went through all men. Pictures death like a deadly disease sort of spreading and creeping its way through all of humanity. Death spread to everyone that Adam represented in the garden, all of his descendants, in other words, all of humanity. Death came to all men in all three of those biblical manifestations. Physical death spread to all men. I mean, Adam lived, as we saw last time, more than 800 years after he sinned, but then he died. However, the divine judgment of physical death didn't start with Adam. Adam wasn't the first to die. In fact, if you remember, on the very day Adam sinned, there was a physical death. It was the animal that God took the life of in order to cover the nakedness of Adam and Eve, a picture of the sacrifice that would come, the innocent dying in the place of the guilty. Death began the very day that Adam sinned. It wasn't too long after that that the first human death occurred when Cain murdered his brother Abel. And then death spread through all of Adam's descendants. Turn back to Genesis 5 because Moses belabors this point. He wants us to get this. Genesis chapter 5 and verse 5. Notice he says, So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he, what? Died. Okay, get ready for some repetition. Verse 8. So all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. Verse 11. So all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. Verse 14, so all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. Verse 17, so all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. Verse 20, so all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. Verse 27, so all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. Verse 31, so all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. Could Moses make it any more clear than that? Could it be any clearer? Death, physical death came because of Adam's sin. That's why Hebrews 9.27 says, God has appointed to all men once to die, and after this the judgment. Why? Why do all men have to die? 
Again, Paul is crystal clear in 1 Corinthians 15.22 when he says, In Adam all die. In Adam all die. Now this isn't like a pleasant topic. I doubt you've been to a party recently and a discussion of death broke out. We as human beings like to avoid this thought. We like to avoid this reality. But it's, it is reality. If our Lord tarries His coming, every single one of us will die. I will die. You will die. Why? Because death spread to all through the sin of Adam. Now, if you really want to get a grasp of the sinfulness of your own sin and the holiness of God, just think about this for a moment. Every human death, underscore the word every, every human death is the direct result of God's judgment on one sin. Was it some like really horrific sin as we think about it? I mean, was there a, was there a rape or a murder? No. Adam ate a piece of fruit from a tree that God had said, you may not eat from it. And as a result of that one sin, everybody you know, everyone who's existed before us, everyone who comes after us will die. That's the seriousness of sin. That is the holiness of God. Physical death spread to all men. But spiritual death also spread to all men. Turn to Ephesians. You remember in the book of Ephesians, Paul talks about that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. What does he mean by that? Look at chapter 4. Ephesians 4, and he's talking about all unregenerate people, all people who don't know Jesus Christ, and all of us before we came to know Jesus Christ. Notice how he describes them in verse 18. He says, they are darkened in their understanding, and then notice this, excluded from the life of God. Excluded, alienated from the life of God. There's no spiritual life. Why? Well, it's the fruit of Adam's sin. Death spread to all men, so that all men are born spiritually dead. The second death spread to all men. Eternal death. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 15, again, listen to the word. All who were not written in the Lamb's book of life were cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. All. Every human being who doesn't know Jesus Christ will experience the second death or eternal death, eternal separation from God, eternal suffering. Now, to many, it seems unfair that death spread to all men through Adam's sin. And so in the very next phrase here in verse 12, Paul explains why God allowed death to spread to all through Adam's sin. He does so in a fourth proposition about original sin. It's this, God credited the guilt of Adam's sin to all men. God credited the legal guilt for Adam's sin to all men. This is what the text says. Look at verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. The reason all men die is because all sinned. But that raises the crucial question. What does Paul mean by all sinned? Clearly, he means to say that there is some connection between Adam's sin and our sin. Between Adam's sin and our condemnation. What is that connection? Well, again, you're going to have to really put on your thinking caps with me here, but this is really important. This is the heart of the gospel. 
There are four primary views about the relationship between Adam's sin and you. Four primary views. In other words, there are four views of what Paul means here when he says all sinned. View number one, this is a view you have to reject. It's called the Pelagian view, named after Pelagius, the arch nemesis of Augustine. Pelagius was a heretic, condemned as a heretic. This view is part heresy. Because Pelagius taught this, we inherit no moral corruption from Adam through our parents. And in fact, we are born, Pelagius taught, without a sin nature. In other words, we're like blank slates. We can either choose righteousness or we can choose sin, but we're a blank slate. This was condemned, understandably, as heresy. This is contrary to what the Scriptures clearly teach. A second part of the Pelagian view is not heresy, but I think it's equally troubling, and that is we bear no personal guilt for Adam's sin. There's no connection between Adam's sin and us. So what would they do then with this expression, all sin? Well, Pelagius and his followers would interpret it this way. We choose to sin because we choose to follow Adam's bad example. That's all. According to Pelagian theology, the sin of Adam had no effect on us whatsoever except that of a bad example. Now, the immediate context absolutely trounces this view. We'll see as we walk our way through it because Paul says there is a relationship between Adam's sin and ours beyond that of example. So this one cannot stand, both because part of its heresy and because the context absolutely destroys it. Second view about the relationships between Adam's sin and us is Calvin's view, inherited sinful nature. Calvin said, we inherit moral corruption from Adam through our parents, and all the rest of the views will say that, because that's what the Scriptures teach. We're born sinful. Without doing anything, we have a sinful nature. We are morally corrupt. That's why you don't have to teach your children to lie or steal or hit their friends. It's natural. But Calvin also said, we bear no personal guilt for Adam's sin. So he said, by all sinned here, Paul meant this, we have all committed personal sins because we inherited moral corruption from Adam through our parents. In other words, sin here means what it always sins. I, I sin, you sin, we all sin. It can't be that. This can't be the right interpretation of this passage, and let me show you why. Look down at verse 18. Romans chapter 5, verse 18. Paul says, through one transgression, Adam's transgression, there resulted, notice he doesn't say corruption. What does he say? Condemnation. The word condemnation means legal guilt. So we're not talking about corruption. We got legal guilt. All men got legal guilt through Adam's one transgression. So we have to discount that second view. There's a third view about all sin. And this one gets a little closer to reality. This one is called the seminal or realistic view. This was the view of Augustine, the early church father. He said, again, we inherit moral corruption from Adam through our parents. And he says, we do bear personal guilt. That is legal guilt. We're not talking about guilty feelings. We're talking about real legal guilt before God because of Adam's sin. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part three of his series, The True and Better Adam. 
Tom will have part four for you on our next program, and we hope you'll join us then. Well, Tom, today you looked at the four main views of sin and its penalty. Is it true to say that the main point is sin really does exist in the world, and every person is an active participant in sin? Absolutely, Bill. And you know, I think this is what we have to understand. If we don't grasp our sinfulness, if we don't understand that every person is actively participating in sin, then we don't understand the need for a Savior. Tragically, that's where so much of our culture is. People disconnect themselves from the responsibility and the guilt of their own sinful choices, and they develop a sort of victim mentality, and they disconnect from the sin. They disassociate from the sin that's a part of their lives and and point the finger of blame somewhere else. The problem with that is it steals the gospel from them because the gospel is only offered to those who are sinners and who understand that reality. Thanks, Tom. Are you interested in attending the Master's Seminary? Countryside Bible Church is home to the Master's Seminary Dallas campus. Join Pastor Tom Pennington as he hosts the Master's Seminary Spring Preview Weekend, March 24th through the 27th at Countryside. You'll interact with Tom, attend seminary classes, and participate in the church life at Countryside. For more information and registration, go to thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You'll find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.